And so today I want to share with you guys a continuation on, um, on our series on the kingdom of God, right? How's my level? Sounds okay? All right. Um, so we're, we've been in the kingdom of God. We're going to go a few weeks more of this, you know, and then we're, and then we're going to, um, to, to take a break and then we'll come back to the kingdom uh, series later in the year. But today I want to share with you guys, we've been, we've been looking at different aspects of the kingdom, different things that Jesus is teaching his disciples about what is coming up and what has landed. What's effectively landed is a crashing into earth of that which is from heaven. So that when we pray, your kingdom come, come. Your, your kingdom doesn't just be there. Your kingdom doesn't just suddenly appear. Your kingdom comes. And for the kingdom to come, there is a direction, there is a source, there is a target, and then the kingdom comes. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so today we're going to look at, at this whole thing where Jesus hands the keys of the kingdom. Wow, the kingdom has keys. Wow, of course, the kingdom has keys and the keys have been given over to Peter, right? And we're going to get into this in a moment. But first, let me pray. Father, truly, Lord God, uh, uh, you have bestowed upon your church such authority, such power, such uh, 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 potential uh, for influence and for changing and shaping the course of the world and the course of nations. Father, thank you, Lord God, um, that you have considered us, your humble servants, uh, to be worthy of this authority. Father, truly, we want to remember even right now that you have not chosen the high, the lofty, the mighty, the arrogant, the proud, and, and the mighty uh, uh, to give the keys to. But you gave the keys to a bunch of humble, lowly servants, Lord God. So Father, we want to, for that, we want to say thank you. And for that, we also want to say, help us to maintain a spirit and a posture of, of humility and servitude, Lord God, so that we can constantly uh, be the kind of people who remind you of the ones whom you gave the keys to in the first place, Lord God. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God. We just want to surrender this time into your hands. May you increase, may we decrease, so that your name and your fame and your truth be made evident and manifest in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in Matthew chapter 16 today. And this will be a familiar verse to many of you. Uh, and, and so we're going to go through it today from the angle of looking at the meaning of the keys being given. Matthew 16 verse 13 goes, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Church, who do you say that he is? Is he just any other teacher? Is he any other God? Is he any other uh, a wise man? Is he any other prophet? Or is he waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness? For Peter, he declared, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Wow. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, thank you for this word. May the Lord add his blessing to this word. Just want to explain that last verse, that chapter, the, the verse 20. Some, because some of you, uh, uh, if you have not read other passages where, where this same expression takes place, it happens a lot, especially in the book of Mark. He charged his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ because... As we know from December last year that the people of, 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 the, of the land of Israel were waiting for a Messiah. The word Christ is Messiah. They were waiting for a certain kind of Messiah. And so when, whenever word spreads that I think the Messiah is here, I think we've met the Messiah, crowds gather to the point that Jesus cannot minister. And the crowds are there for shock and awe. They're there for shock and awe. And so I was just reading um, Mark 1 and 2 with the kids last night before we went to bed. And we came across the same expression, right? He told um, the guy who was healed from leprosy, don't tell anyone uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that I'm the Messiah. And then he went and told. And after he told, crowds came to witness shock and awe until he could not enter the town that he wanted to go into. He had to go to a quiet place. So if, you have, if ever you see in your Gospels when Jesus tells people, don't tell, it's, it's another way of saying, don't tell now, don't tell yet, because now is not the time. There is still work he wants to do under ordinary uh, uh, levels of fame. But once his levels of fame go through the roof, at this time, he can operate. Now, that's just to explain verse 20. What's happening here, if you can just go one slide before, um, one slide before, okay, is that, is that, Jesus is entering Caesarea Philippi, right? And he's saying to them, everybody's got an opinion about who I am. Everybody's got something to say about who I am. And there is a lot of speculation about who I am. There is a lot of guesswork about who is this guy who's coming and doing all these things. And so the question that is being posed, not just to Peter, but to every single one of us is, who is Jesus really? Who is Jesus really to you? Is he just someone, uh, is he just like the God of the Christian faith that you accepted? The one who just, safety of your sins. Is he just the one who safety of your sins? And, and I want to be careful when I say just, I'm not trivializing it. I'm just saying that, was that, it, 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 do you relate to him as, as the one who saved you of your sins the way we relate to a, 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 a bottle of shampoo? Like, thank you, you made me clean, yay, and I can move on in my life not thinking about my shampoo, right? Is that all Jesus is to you? Because for Simon Peter, he said, you are the Christ. And when he says you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. It's a declaration of something. The son of the living God, the son of the living God immediately recalls Daniel chapter 7. Where, where, where Daniel gave a, a vision of the, of, the, of the Lord of hosts, right? The, the, the ancient of days coming down and then one like the Son of Man comes before the people of... Uh, and and he, that is the Messiah, that is the, the cosmic king. So my friends... 
Today, we want to really see Jesus as the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name above all names. That's why today's set is so on point, so on point because exactly everything I want to say in the sermon. Let's move on because I want to show you the few things that, that, you're, go that you're going to see. God, number one, God builds His church upon those who recognize Jesus as Messiah. That's very important for us to know. And it's, I spent a long time yesterday as I was finishing up these slides, so I was just, I was just belaboring this word recognize because I was testing every other kind of word. I was like, God builds His church upon those who, those who acknowledge. Yeah, acknowledge, but acknowledge is kind of passive. Um, uh, those who profess, but profess is just very verbal. Um, those who uh, 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 rank, you know, those who position, those who establish, those who extol, and really it is all of those things. And then I had to choose one word, so I chose recognize. Because recognize has an element of your eyes being open to be able to see and see not just Jesus, but recognize Him as the Son of the Most High God who was promised by the Ancient of Days from way back then, right? And I know the Jewish scriptures may not be our tradition, but do you have eyes to recognize that Jesus is the most worthy one? And that is the foundation upon which God will build His church. So let's look at the text because what it really says here, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus puns. You're going to see this. I, I, I think I, we, we love our bad puns here in SIBKL at Sungai Bulo. And, and I think if Jesus uh, being here will fit right in because he makes a pun, okay? It's quite a good pun. He, he says, and I tell you, Simon Peter, right? His, his Hebrew name is Sephas. Sephas comes from the Hebrew word kephos, okay? Uh, 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 which means the rock. And then he's giving him a Greek name, okay? A Greek name that also means the rock. And he tells him, I tell you, you are Petros. Okay, Petros means the rock. I tell you, you are Petros, Peter. And on this Petra, I will build my church. On this rock. Because the name Peter, Petros, and the, Petros is a real name, right? It's a real name. And he's punning Petros with the word Petra, which means rock, right? I tell you, you are Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church. And I, and I looked at this, and looked at this, and looked at this, and I thought, how does this relate to the previous verse, right? Where he says, the, the, the verse above, where he says, you are the Christ, right? Because there's two things here. Peter is naming Jesus, and then Jesus is naming Peter. And when Peter names Jesus, he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the, I recognize who you are. You are the Christ. And then Peter, and then Peter, and then Jesus reciprocates, and he names him, or rather renames him, and he says, you, conversely, I am the Christ. You are Petros, you are the rock. And then he says this, on this Petra, on this rock. And I spent a long time thinking, what does on this rock mean? And I started reading what the different uh, scholars have to say. And some people say, uh, on this rock means on this profession. On this profession, you are the Christ, right? And I think there's a lot of truth there. And, and there are other traditions that say on this rock means on this Peter. In other words, this Peter, Peter will be the man through whom uh, uh, God builds his church. And if you have a friend from a Catholic background, you will know that Peter um, is uh, Peter was the, was the spiritual father of Clement the I. And Clement I was the first bishop of Rome. In other words, Peter was, in essence, uh, uh, um, uh, the first 
Pope, right? And then Clement I was the first Pope in office in Rome, in that sense. And all the Popes uh, uh, in Rome, and then I don't know how they square it out with the papacy in Avignon, and then it comes back to Rome, you know. Um, but, as, but the Catholic Church perceives that this anointing, this charge, this authority was given to the man, Peter. And the man, Peter, has the authority, and so all his downline of his disciples are considered the most important and the one who holds the whole church together. That's why the Catholic Church holds on to their papacy. This is the origins of the papacy of the Catholic Church. And so, my friends, what does this mean? If it means for us just Peter the man, then really we need to be looking at Peter the man and his concho concho after that. And so, when I was praying and seeking the Lord and reading lots of uh, commentaries, I want to share this with you. When Jesus says, you are Petros, and on this Petra, and then I was thinking, why did he pun Peter and, Pat and Rock? Why did he associate the Rock and this Petra with, Pet with Petros? There has to be a relationship why he is punning the two, the two words. And to pun it, to associate it, is to say that there is something about on this Petra that is related to the Petros. And so, I want you all to see this in the text. On this Peter... He's saying, I tell you, you are Petros. And on this Peter, which Peter? The Peter who replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what I firmly believe is what Jesus says he will build his church on. He builds his church upon the Peter who professes and recognizes Jesus as the son of the living God. And it's not just the man Peter, because we know that in Jerusalem, the church was not established by Peter the Apostle, it was established by James the Apostle. And we know that in many other churches throughout Asia Minor, and that's why church history is very important, church history can help us to, to, to narrow down the options so that we can, we can see theology more clearly. Church history can sometimes be a bit like the yellow box in Wordle, right? It gives you a clue, right, as to where things can go. From church history, we know that Peter cannot possibly be the only one upon whom Jesus builds the church because the churches started flourishing at the same time as Rome across in Alexandria it started flourishing in Antioch and so many different early church fathers started planting and so what does it mean on this Petra it means on this Peter this Peter meaning this disciple who professes and recognizes Jesus as Lord and so, my friend, the same applies today. Upon your profession, your exalting, your extolling, your seeing, your recognizing, your establishing, your ranking, your positioning, and your placing of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, I can build my church through this. I'll build my church through this. You, SIBKL at Sungai Bulo. Every single one of you, I'll build my church through you. Upon this disciple, this professing disciple, this disciple who recognizes me. Because remember, the context just before this is who do they recognize me? And then they say Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, some of the prophets, some of the prophets. And then he says, they don't recognize me. Do you recognize me? And, they, and Peter says, I recognize you. 
And Jesus says, upon the disciple who recognizes me, I'll build my church. That's what I believe verse 18 means. And so, my friends, what is your confession today? What is your profession today? And it's not just a verbal profession. It's not just something you say. It's got to translate from what you say, from what you believe, to what you say, to how you live. Which is why when we talk about faith that saves, faith that saves is not a one-dimensional faith, right? Or a two-dimensional faith where it's just like 2D, a flat visual, right? Faith that saves is not just belief, it's some kind of, some kind of uh, um, mental idea and then some kind of verbal thing. Right? Because you and I know we can have all the right thoughts and all the right speech and have none of the action to back it up, none of the choice of how we live to back it up, and it's nothing. You wouldn't vote into office some politician who had all the right thoughts and all the sweet words. You would not vote a politician in like that if they don't have the, the, the track record of of. of translating their policies into real life action in the same way, in the same way, upon who will God admit into the kingdom? Those who have not just the right thoughts, not just the right profession, but a life that is ordered as if God really is, Jesus really is king. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I was listening to um. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a prominent author and, and, um, and, and speaker. His name is Jordan Peterson. Uh, he's not strictly speaking Christian, but people ask him all the time, do you believe in God? They ask him, do you believe in God? And he doesn't like to answer that question because he says that people have assigned different meanings to the word belief. And, I, and when I hear it, I think, okay, yeah, you, you, yeah I, can see why, I can see why you don't want to get trapped in that question. He says, I, I, so I won't answer the question, do I believe in God? But he says this, I live as if God exists. And the first time I heard it, I stepped back and thought, huh, isn't that maybe an even better way to think of it than just believe? Because you can believe whatever you want in your heart. If you don't live as if God exists, there's no point. It's almost like your belief has no, has, has no ring to it. It has no, has no substance to it. And so I do like that. And I will borrow it from Peterson. Thanks very much. And I will say it to all of you guys, as I be killed at Sungai Buloh, do you live as if Jesus is the Messiah? I'm not just asking you, do you believe? Because you can make a mental uh, decision and say, I believe. And you can even make a verbal profession and say, I believe you are the Son of God. But do you live as if Jesus is the Son of God? And to live as if Jesus is the Son of God means that the Son of God now has full access. Full access to how you think about money. Full access to how you think about your work and your vocation. Full access to how he, he, uh, uh, he, he, he shapes how you think about your long-term future. About your relationships, your marriage, your, 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 your courtship. He's got full access to talk to you about your sex life and your work life and your family life and the way you parent or the way you don't. When Jesus is the Messiah and you live as if that is absolutely true, he has full, he has, he's got the keys to go into your life and to, and to shape and open every single door and to make decisions about it. And so that is so important. We have to start there. But I want to show you the next point. 
Not just that God builds his church upon those who recognize him, but God's kingdom will thereafter advance through the church whom God builds. God is building a church and God's kingdom will advance through it. So he doesn't just establish his kingdom with random acts of Christianity. He doesn't do that. Jesus is orderly and has a, it is strategic in how he wants to extend his kingdom. And his strategy is not some, some weird secretive uh, mystery. His, his strategy from the start is, I will build my church. I will build my church. Upon your confession, Christians who will recognize, I will build a church. And I will build the church and then the kingdom will be given over to the church. The keys, I give the keys. Let's look at the slide. Let's look at the slide. I tell you, you are Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you, the one on whom I build the church, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now my friends, a few things I want to elaborate here. Um, the first one is really just this. Pay attention to the fact that Jesus says, I will build my church. Not build me a church. Not you guys go build the church. He says, I will build my church. You execute the keys. You take the keys, you open, you close. You lock, you unlock. You, you leash and you unleash. That's the purpose of me giving you the keys. You'll be the gatekeepers. But I will do the building. And church, I'm quite serious about telling you this because it's so important that we get this right. Christians don't build church. Christians punya God builds church. Christians build disciples. Let me phrase it to you this way. Jesus says, I will build my church. Christians say, I will make disciples. That's how it works. And how it works is that we go from one disciple, one Christian, one person who doesn't know Jesus, or one person who scarcely knows Jesus, one after another after another, and we unleash and we leash. We unleash the power of the living God and we leash the powers of darkness. We go to every single one of them, one by one by one, and we unleash love and we leash up hatred and, 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 and judgmentalism and rejection and hurt and pain and we unleash goodness, love, mercy, uh, 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 salvation, good news, gospel. That's our role. That's our role. And then whether the church thrives or not, is God's going to do that and He's going to build His church. So church, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm real straight with you on this is because if you get this wrong and you think that it's our job to build the church, build the church, then we're going to be tirelessly working day after day, looking at this, looking at that. Now, guess what? I'm a pastor. I'm a full-time worker in SIBKL. It's part of my job description to scrutinize the health and growth of the church. But I, there has to be a point. Has to be a point. And Ali, for both of us as church workers, there has to be a point. For some of you guys, you're, you might be working in full-time ministry one day in your life. And so for all of us as leaders and, and, and stewards over this church, holding on to this thing that is so dear to us, the, the tendency and the responsibility will be there to dutifully look and scrutinize the growth and health of the church. And that is a good thing. But there has to be a cut-off point. 
Because if there is no cutoff point, then every single day you're going to be in constant worry and frenzy over this church because you know, you in your mind, the whole weight of its building falls on your shoulder. So the day you take a break, the church falls. And I know people like that. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy. That's not the kind of Christians. That's not the kind of church that God wants to build. That kind of church will be built upon the striving and the, and the workaholism of men. And that kind of church cannot prevail over the gates of hell. Because hell knows, knows the ways of workaholism. Workaholism is the ways of hell. I don't say that in a kind of fire and brimstone way, of course. Right? So let me take that down a notch. The enemy knows that workaholism is one of his weapons in his arsenal. He throws it out all the time to get people to turn their focus into the wrong places. And so if the church itself falls into the, the, the cycle of, of believing in its own hype, believing in its own uh, uh, industry, and when I say industry, I don't mean church as an industry, I mean in its own industriousness. If the church buys into the hype of its own industriousness, then gosh, we can't prevail against the gates of hell because the enemy throws that little, that small 1% error at Christians all the time. And so that's an important point. But let me move on from that. He says, I give you the keys. And so my friends, as I was saying earlier, what happens in heaven when we are, whenever we pray that the gates of hell uh, uh, are the gates that, where are the gates of hell, by the way? Are they on earth? Are they in heaven? I mean, in hell, right? Where are these gates of hell? And what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about the enemy in the sense of using the expression, the gates of hell? Jesus is very clear. He's using very consistent metaphors, right? He's saying, I'm going to give you the keys. Keys open gates. And then he says, I'm going to give you the keys and through this key, you will advance the kingdom of heaven. You're going to unlock, unlock things and that you are going to unleash. And then you are going to lock things up, right? Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you lose on earth, whatever, you're going to unlock things. And through the unlocking of things, you're going to end, have access. And so the gates of hell want to remain open so that they can keep on plundering. But in a sense, the gates of hell want to constantly remain shut and held up whenever the church advances against it so that it holds up. And the picture here is multi-layered. I give you for the first picture. The first picture is that the gates of hell are shut and the church is advancing against it. And it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because when the church advances and the church advances against the gates of hell, the gates of hell cannot tahan. It will not hold up. But I give you another picture. It's as if the gates of hell are desiring to open. You know, the Chinese have the seventh month where the gates of hell, so to speak, open and it unleashes all the terrors of hell. All the demons will come out, right? That's why there's Hungry Ghost Month, right? And what, what a picture to have. Every one month, every year, the gates of hell open for the whole month and you have to appease the demons. Oh my goodness. God forbid. And that's why it's so powerful. If, if you come from a Taoist background and you are, and the hungry ghost buns still scares you a little, and in, back in the days before COVID, you used to drive around, you see them set up the tents, and then they have all these performances and all this food, and then they leave the first row empty because the first row is supposed to be for the hantu to sit on, and that stuff just still creeps you out. 
Know every time you drive past one of these that the Lord has given you the keys to the kingdom and you can shut up the gates of hell. And so I give you an alternate picture. The gates of hell want to remain open so that it can keep on unleashing evil and strife and problems upon the world. But Jesus says, I give you the keys of heaven and through the keys of the kingdom of heaven, you can lock up and whatever you lock up, no one can open. Amen? Church, is there an amen? Because my, my friends, my friends, you and I have been given authority and you hold this key, it, it should make you tremble. It should make you tremble. And so with that, I want to move on to the next point. I want to move on to the next point. The church holds the keys to the kingdom and has authority to advance it on earth. And so this is similar to my previous point. I'm just building it up one by one. But what do keys speak of? Keys, number one, speak of access. It's very straightforward, right? Let's look at the next slide. Keys speak of access. You hold the key, you turn it, you give access. You give entry and access. But keys don't just speak of access. How many of you are familiar with the, with the custom where, the, where the, the mayor holds the keys to the city? How many of you are you're familiar with that, right? Uh, strictly speaking, our cities don't have gates anymore, right? Because I believe they're spiritual gateways, but they don't have gates, like actual gates with actual keys anymore. But the, in some cities, they still actually have a key that is called the key to the city. And when they give the, when a mayor wants to honour someone, the mayor will give the keys to the city to someone for one day, for example. And on that day, um, uh, they, can, they can almost like celebrate and do as they please in the city, right? Now, when you are given the keys of the city, it is a way of saying you have authority over the city. You have, the, you have rule and you have authority and you have, and you have dominion over that city, right? That's what it means. Keys speak of access and authority. But it also speaks of two other things. One is protection. When you have keys, you can lock things up so that those who are inside are safe. When you have keys, the onus and burden is upon the key bearer to keep the city safe. That's why in the ancient days when the cities had walls and had gates, that the gatekeepers are the most important. First layer of security for the city is that, is that you, you, you bought up this, the gates. You keep everything locked up properly, right? And of course, as I was sharing with you earlier, keys represent the power to leash and the power to unleash. And so keys are extremely important, but if you hold the keys and you think that, wow, I exhale, man, I got authority, I got power, I quite, man, someone give me honour, come on, thank you, Lord. And then you think too highly of yourself. And we've been there for the last two weeks. And you start to think like, wow, I'm like some Datuk, man. I'm like some Tansri. I'm like some Datuk Tansri maximum level, you know. And then you say, by the way, I'm not, I, I've got no beef with titled people. I'm just, I've got to beef with people who think that they, are, that they are too big for themselves. That's all. Because Jesus said this to a bunch of people who thought that they were so atas and so authoritative that they could start holding their keys and doing whatever they want with their keys. And we see that in Matthew 23. So I want to contrast two pieces of scripture for you right now. On the left, you see this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That is Peter. Right, Petros, the humble servant, fisherman, sometimes often don't know what he's doing, you know, and if he was in the modern day, he might start an indie rock band, I don't know, but he might be, he might, he might start a punk band, right? He's just, uh, he's just like a little bit uh, uh, um, uh, short-fused and, and slightly impulsive and just that kind of like scruffy man, right? 
And then on the right-hand side, you see the religious elite of Jesus' day. And they are the ones who are supposed to be holding the keys. And Jesus says to them, just before verse 13, He says to them, all of you, you, you exalt yourself when you should be humbling yourself. The ones who exalt themselves will be humble. The ones who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, key keepers. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Wow. They are the gatekeepers. At that time, they were the appointed by position, by rank, by official JD. They are the gatekeepers. And what do they do with their keys? They shut the kingdom in, the, in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor, you, nor do you allow those who would enter to go in. Such contrasting visions for what different key bearers look like. When one is, is, is arrogant and self-entitled and wants to show off and extremely vain, and the other one, for all intents and purposes, a humble, ordinary, bumbling kind of like fool. But... A fool for Christ. And sometimes with Jesus, that's good enough. And he can use that. Because that fool for Christ will say, I'm a fool to the whole world's systems, but you are my Christ, my, my son of the living God. You are my Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, I can use this. I'll build on this. Here, I give you the keys. And so I want to contrast this again with another piece of scripture. Because in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaks, Jesus, writing his command in a letter to the church of Philadelphia, says this, And to the church, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. And the words that he writes are so startlingly similar to what he gave to Peter on that rock, right? He says this, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David. Wow, so now we know the key of David. And then there's this key of the kingdom. David is who? King. Right? So you're seeing there's, there's a parallel. Key of David, David was the king. David is the king everyone's waiting for to return, right? And, and, and the return of David is Jesus, right? So the key of David is the key of Jesus and the key of the kingdom. And I give to, this is another, by the way, this is another proof that the key is not just given to Peter, the one man. Right, because here, here, Jesus is giving the key again, one more time to the church in Philadelphia. Who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I set before you an open door, one which no one is able to shut. And through this open door, the kingdom is open for people to go out, for the kingdom to go out. The doors are open for us to go into and beyond enemy lines in order to plunder for souls, uh, uh, for, 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 for the doomed, for the desperate, for the dejected, for all of those uh, uh, who, are, who, who are in Isaiah 9, people living in darkness. So that we can go because the doors are open. And Jesus says elsewhere that, that the, the, the workers... A few, though the laborers, the, sorry, though, though the harvest is always there, the harvest is always plentiful. Church, the harvest is always plentiful. Church, the doors are always open because no one's going to be able to shut them. The pathway is open for the kingdom to advance. And so the world is waiting for the manifestation of Jesus. 
The world is waiting for the manifestation of Jesus, but how will they confess, profess, and recognize Him if no one preaches, if they never hear the good news? How will they hear the good news if no one is, if they never hear someone preach? How will anyone be heard to be preaching if no one is sent? I send you, Sungai Bulo Church. God sends me, Sungai Bulo Church. God sends every single one of us, Sungai Bulo Church, to go into your workplaces, into your communities, into your neighbourhoods, into your schools, into all of your different arenas of life. God commissions you and sends you as sheep among wolves. Go, the door is open. Go, bring life, bring goodness, bring mercy, bring grace, bring forgiveness, bring all of the power of the kingdom of heaven into places have never known it, who have only ever known strife and fighting and looking out for number one. And God says, you will be a different kind of people. I'm sending you in. I've opened the door. Now, I want you to see, I've highlighted both this in green. In the, on the left-hand side, you see, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. On the right-hand side, it says that there's this, there's this door. If I shut it, no one can open. It's the same door. It's the same idea. It is the same reality that when you have the keys, you can shut things. When you have the keys, you can leash. So my church, what are you leashing today? What are you keeping held down today? Are you holding down other people? Are you holding down people's joy? Are you holding down people's uh, uh, liberty to express themselves? In, in, in godly ways, in ways that are godly and true for them? Or are you, why are we leashing each other on all these things? But maybe, maybe God has given us this key so that we can leash the enemy down. So we can say, I leash and I shut and I bind the powers of darkness over occultic practices and over every demonic stronghold, and over unholy altars. And maybe I'm going to leash today the powers of addiction, addiction to gambling, addiction to, to, to much drink, addiction to pornography, addiction to, to gossip, addiction to gossip websites, addiction to what, whatever it is. You know in your circles what needs to be leashed so that it cannot run riot. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a diseased dog. It's going around, biting at everything and, and causing harm and causing people to die. You've got to leash the enemy down. And we know that to destroy the enemy is God's work. He will one day throw the enemy into the lake of fire. That's his job. Our job is given us keys. Will he build the church or will we build the church? He builds the church. We execute the keys. Will he destroy Satan or will we destroy Satan? He destroys Satan. But we execute the keys. And one day, he will cause Satan to be crushed under our feet and it will be decisively his work through us. Amen? But for now, we leash things up. We bind things up. By the way, I'm using a different set of words, but it's really the same idea. Maybe in a different era of church, you hear a lot of people binding and, uh, and loosing and binding and loosing and, and then people don't really know what's going on and maybe those words have some kind of connotation for you. That's why today, I want to show you that when God gives you spiritual authority, it is authority to stop and to get things going, right? Amen? Let's look at the next parallel. Because it's just the reverse of the parallel. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And conversely, it says, who, a door, right? The key of David who opens and none will shut. So the door is open, right? And whatever you lose, whatever you lose on earth 
will be loosed in heaven, meaning that whatever you stand for on earth, and whatever you pray into on earth, and whatever you take authority over on earth, I will back you up in heaven. All the powers of heaven will back you up because I've given you my church. Not an individual, but it starts with individuals, but the church is all of us together, right? I will back you up with all the powers of heaven. And where is the backup? Revelation 3 is the backup. No one can shut that door. I will not let anyone shut that door. So friends, if there is a, among you a spirit of strife and fighting and bickering and, uh, and constant, uh, uh, um, constant uh, uh, unrest, today I declare in the name of Jesus, we shut that door. We leash the power of darkness over strife and fighting in the name of Jesus. And we release and we release and unleash the power of God to bring healing and, and, and restoration and goodness and mercy and forgiveness and forgiving. Church, this is how we as, the, we as God's people are to advance the kingdom around us. So let's look at the last point. Let's look at the last point. No power of death. No power of darkness can hold God's church back. I was sharing with you just now two pictures for you, to, for, for, for you to be able to see how it's going to hold up together, right? One picture is that the gates of hell are shut because the church is advancing against it. The church wants to go beyond enemy lines to plunder four souls. Let's look at the verse. Let's look at the verse. I tell you, Peter, you are this rock, right? I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock on this Peter, who is professing Peter, recognizing Peter, I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail, right? And I showed you just now, if the gates of hell, you look at the gates of hell as shut up, because on a previous occasion, they have plundered our people, and plundered our people and kept them behind bars, kept them behind bars addicted, kept them behind bars in depression, kept them behind bars in, in mental health problems, kept them behind bars in perpetual fighting and unforgiveness and bitterness and, and, and strife, kept them behind bars in, in wandering around being lost, not knowing what's, where, where to go, not having no direction, just ambling about, kept them behind bars in, 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 in aimless living or in wanton spending, Church, where are you right now? And, for, and what example can I give that's relevant to where you're at right now? I wish I knew. I wish I knew so I could speak right into your heart and right into your situation. And maybe sometimes pastors, you give examples, stabbing in the dark, hoping that it will be something that makes sense to you. What makes sense to you, church? And behind what gates are some of your parts of your heart kept in, in, in lock and under lock and key by Satan himself? What parts of your life are still, are, are still caught up behind, behind powers of darkness that need to be set free? Because Jesus said when he inaugurated the kingdom and the arrival of the kingdom that this is the year of the Lord's favour. And what does it look like? I have come, anointed by God. The Spirit of the Most High has anointed me to what? Set captives free. How you set captives free? If you don't have keys. Jesus given us the keys, church. So Bible church, God has given us the keys to set captives free. And the first captive that needs to be set free is every single one of us. We need to be set free from some of the captivities that we have allowed ourselves to be imprisoned by. And so church, today, I want you, I, I'm not even going to start double-guessing what kind of captivity you are in. You know what captivity you are in. You know what's been, been, been gripping you. Some of us are, 
captivated by Wordle. I'm captivated. I, I worked one and a half hours one of those nights on Wordle and I scarcely got it cork. Oh my goodness. I almost died trying to solve that. And I told myself after, after spending one and a half hours trying to guess that five-letter word that I'm not going to be enslaved to Wordle at this level ever again. I'm going to do this quicker, right? There's no way I'm spending. This is ridiculous, right? What, what stupid prison is it for me to be caught up one and a half hours guessing a five-letter word? So what is it for you? I know I give a trivial example, right? Maybe I just want to lighten the mood up a little. But church, every one of us has one or two, or more. And once you're set free, once that, once that thing has been taken out of your eye, you, you can actually go out and minister and every one of us are called and commissioned to minister the un unlocking and setting of captives free. And in that respect, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And I, want, I used to think of it as the church attacking the gates of hell like a battering ram. Bam! Bam! Um, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, meaning at some point it's going to crumble. And sometimes I suppose it could look like that. But you know what? When I look into the Bible and I think, how did Jericho fall? Jericho fell because, because of worship and exaltation of God and the name of Jesus. That's why it's such a powerful name. And Jericho fell because the people gave praise to their God. That's how Jericho fell. Jericho didn't fall because of battering rams. And of course, on different days, they fought wars, actual wars, right? So I'm not saying it's one or the other. It's often a mixture of both. But you need to know this. Gates of hell don't always fall because of battering rams. And in this case, when the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I imagine this ticking clock. Tock, 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 tock. And everybody trying to unlock the gates of hell. But nobody has the keys. And who shall unlock the gates of hell? Who shall unlock this thing so that we can set captives free? The church comes with the gates, with the keys. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against this key. Pap, boom, it opens. And we go in and plunder. Because Jesus says elsewhere that you can enter the man, the, how, can you, how can you take anything from a strong man? unless you can go in first and bind the strong man up and that is the power of the living God to go in beyond enemy lines and to bind the strong man up. But when he does that and the gates have been unlocked, then you can go in to the strong man's house and Jesus uses this word, then you can go in and plunder. Today, we want to plunder for souls. Tomorrow, we want to plunder for souls. Every day, we want to plunder for lives coming out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. And so, my friends, I'm done. I want to lead us all right now into having it starts with your exalting and your recognizing of Jesus as Lord. And so, it was so apt that we sang this today because you know what? Who is Jesus to you? Let's rewind all the way back. And Jesus saying, who am I to you? Am I just Elijah? Am I just Isaiah? Am I just Joel? Am I just some prophet from the Old Testament? Come back in some guise? Or am I waymaker? Am I miracle worker? Am I promise keeper? Am I light in the darkness? Am I your Messiah? Am I your Messiah? Am I Christ the living King? Church, today, recognize Him as your living King and live as if He is your greatest hope, your King of Kings, your Lord of Lords. Church, I want you to lift up your hands today. Just lift up your hands. If there is one area of your life you want to submit before the King, you want to say, God, I give you access.
It's part of my life. I'm not living in obedience yet. Not living in full obedience yet. Maybe it's your use of time. Maybe it's what you spend time looking at. Maybe it's what you spend time thinking of. Maybe it's the condition of your heart. Maybe you're too quick to worry. Maybe you're panicky. I don't know what going, you're going through and I won't even speculate. But I know the Lord sees. I know the Lord hears. I know the Lord knows. And He's looking at you and He's saying, My child, son and daughter, will you give me the keys? I've given you the keys and I've given you authority. Today I want to work with you. My son, my daughter, I want full access. When you make me Lord, when you make me Saviour, when you make me Waymaker, I will make a way. I will make a way for you. And whatever you are struggling with, whatever you understand is not the most right, whatever area you are struggling to obey me in, the Lord says, I will make a way. I will be working. Even when you can't work anymore, when you've given your best shot and you fall and you collapse and you say, I've got nothing left to give and I've given my best, I am still working, says the Lord. I am still working. So church, you can take your Sabbath. Jesus still working you can rest Jesus still working you can go to sleep Jesus still working and you can fight uh, for, for the good fight until you ping sun and after you ping sun Jesus is still working just hold your hands up and say God Lord son of the living God I acknowledge today you are my Messiah, my Saviour, the Anointed One, the one promised from of old, the one to whom it was originally holding the keys and I give you full access today Church, whatever area of obedience you're struggling with, give God full access right now. Give Him full access right now. Say, God, I give you full access. And then finish it up. Say it under, uh, under your breath. Say it softly. What is that area? God, I give you full access over what I see online. God, I give you full access over who I hang out with. God, I give you full access over how I spend my money. God, I give you full access over, over how I treat people. I give you full access over how I, how I score my staff. I give you full access over what I say about my boss. I give you full access about, about the stories I carry from one to another. I give you ex full access over the things I forward to, to one another. I give you full access, full access over everything, over the things I drink. Whatever it is, over how much I eat gluttony. Oh God, I give you full access to my proneness to gluttony. Everything. Father, I thank you, Lord God. Power of the living God, come. Power of the living God, come and, and, bring, and bring healing, bring salvation, bring deliverance, Lord God. Bring deliverance to us so that every single one of us can be delivered, Lord God, from the powers of darkness that chain us behind a gate that must fall and it must open. And today, church, I loosen the power of God over you. I unleash the power of God over you. I speak life over you that the power of the living God will come upon your life will come upon your heart upon your will and bring salvation and healing and grace and mercy and power holy supernatural power so that you can overcome every power of darkness oh church surrender to God right now and declare your acknowledgement your recognition son of the most high that is who you are now church May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance upon you. The Lord looks at you. He looks at He sees you. He sees you in your area of struggling. He sees you in your struggle with obedience. May the Lord turn His face towards you, see you, 
and speak peace and shalom over you. And all of God's people victoriously shout aloud, Amen. Amen, church. Amen.